I can't wait for the new Brownies book to get banned because it is rooted in the Black radical tradition. So welcome, welcome, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Stuck with David Young, the show where we are for the children, the kids, the babies. <laughs> so I was in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago to celebrate the launch of the new Brownies book, which is an anthology that's a love letter to Black children and families, inspired by W.E.B. Du Bois in the original Brownies book periodical. It was a great, great, great event. I had so much fun. I even rocked leather pants, which I bought specifically because I knew I was going to be in Atlanta at a party and I had to come correct. And so today I'll be joined by star sociologist, Dr. Karita Brown, and award-winning visual artist, Charlie Palmer, who together edited and curated the book. And we talk about some of the ideas behind it, the importance of it existing at a time when so much Black literature is being challenged and banned in schools. And just the process of working on a project like this together as a married couple. All right, y'all. Let's get it. Charlie Palmer is one of the dopest and most prolific fine artists alive. And Dr. Karita Brown is a professor of sociology at Emory University. And also in 2020, the year the Lakers won a championship, joined them as Director of Racial Equity and Action, which means she actually has a ring. <laughs> Charlie and Karita, what's good? Hey, Damon. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that y'all are here. I'm just happy. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. No. We're glad to be here. So for people who listen to the podcast, right before we get the guests on, we do a sound check. I do a sound check. The guests do a sound check. Usually for my sound check, I start rapping. Um, I either do uh, plosive words. They have a lot of P's, and a lot of forceful sounds so that, you know, the, the mic picks up. So I do a lot of DMX. Before I was doing like Curtis Blow, like, <laughs> like I was doing a whole lot of that. <laughs> and so Karita, when she was doing her sound check, also rapped. And this was the first person who also rapped during the intro. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that. Thank you. Acknowledgement to that. So who did you do again? I did Tribe Call Quest. Yes. The introduction to Scenario. Scenario. Mm -hmm. Actually, Damon, I performed that in the fourth grade during a talent show. Okay. So you could just imagine this like little skinny, lanky girl getting up on stage and to the <laughs> shock of all the parents in the audience. That's what I chose to do for my performance. <laughs> Did you did, uh, you know, rah, rah, like a dungeon? Did you do all of that, too? Of course I did. Yeah. Uh, Buster Rhymes, <laughs> in fact, is from Uniondale, where I grew up. I went to all the public school system in Uniondale. He's a product of that. So he was a hero of mine. Okay. Of course I did. From my chest, rah, rah, like a dungeon dragon. Okay. I mean, why wasn't that in the book? I'm just saying. That would have been a perfect addition, a perfect entry if you do an audio book. This could be a part of it. You could find like the old archival footage of you in fourth grade, you know, doing scenario. And it's just, you know, just part of the book. Does, does it even exist? I would love to see that myself. Oh, my God. I hope that that archive is destroyed. <laughs> That's funny. Again, I'm so happy to have you all on. I was in Atlanta uh, with you all a couple of weeks ago for the launch of the new Brownies book. 
which is an anthology, a celebration of Black children, Black families, Black people. You all are the curators, the editors, the brain trust, the conceivers, the geniuses behind this project. And the Atlanta book launch was a great time. I bought some leather pants because I knew that I was going to be in Atlanta and I had to come correct because y'all are... All right, for instance, when I told people on Instagram that I was going to be in Atlanta, I was like, you know, whoever has the best recommendations for white Hennessy lamb chops, <laughs> for the white Hennessy <laughs> lemon pepper lamb chops, whatever y'all eat in Atlanta, <laughs> let me know. Because I know it's a city where y'all do a lot. Y'all do the most. And so I felt like, you know, if I'm going to be around y'all, I had to do the most too. So I brought that leather pants. You did what needed to be done. And in the words of Law Roach, you walked through with them leather pants and wasn't there like a little <laughs> knit to the top or something, a little fray on the neckline? I noticed that. It was a Honor to Gift t-shirt, right? And Honor to Gift is Russell Westbrook's company. They do a lot of really dope t-shirts, sweatshirts, sweatpants, et cetera. But I cut the collar on a t-shirt, so it gave like a wider collar. And so, yeah. But thank you for noticing that. So you bought something new? And cut it up? Yeah, I feel like you should appreciate this as an artist. You know what I mean? I've been buying the t-shirts, buying the sweatshirts, and just, just cutting the collars. Because I just feel like it's hard to find shirts with like the more extended collars in store. So it's like, you know what? And it's just an easy modification if you have sharp scissors. And the phrase on it make it look like something that was actually purchased, as is in the store. So yeah. Well, you definitely served us a look that night. So I appreciate that, Damon. Yeah, you look great, man. <laughs> you know, you both came through. You know, Karita had the full DNG. You know what I mean? <laughs> Charlie, I remember you had the jacket. What kind of jacket was that? I remember you had the jacket and the shirt underneath the jacket. That's the thing about it, man. I am incredibly cheap. Mm -hmm. And so I go to places where I don't have to spend very much for my stuff. No name brands whatsoever other than my sneakers. I mean, it looked fresh. It looked great. It looked like, you know what? You know what? I'm glad I wore the leather pants today. Because <laughs> if I would have dressed like I was in, like in Pittsburgh or D.C., then, you know, I felt like I wouldn't have fit the aesthetic. But anyway, Karita, can you tell us a bit about just how the book was conceived, when you came up with the idea, and also, like, why now? Mm -hmm. Damon, this book was very much a part of our love story, but really two love stories. One with me and Charlie, we had met each other in late 2016. We were getting to know each other. And because we're both socially awkward people and Charlie has no game, it wasn't like we were courting <laughs> formally, but instead we formed a relationship through talking about art and literature and Black culture and history, just the things that we love and live in anyway. So Charlie had asked me, <laughs> he's illustrated like 2,000 children's books, right? And written one of his own and stuff like that. So he, at the time, had asked me, if you were to write your own children's book, what would it be? And I couldn't answer in the moment. And I ended up writing him an email in 2017 saying, you know what? If I were to do it, it wouldn't be a new book. I would revive this thing called the Brownies book. And I sent him a link to the Library of Congress where the archive is of the original Brownies book. And I just said, you know, we should do this. It was just a really short email. And that's when it entered into the collective consciousness mm -hmm. for both of us. It wasn't like we started acting immediately on it. It was years of conversation and discussion and also very much a part of my 
love affair with W.E.B. Du Bois because I was in the thick of writing a scholarly book on him at the time. Mm-hmm. So, babe, when did we like really start working on the book in earnest? The reality is, it's like during the, the pandemic is when we found ourselves with a lot of free time. And those conversations that had started three years prior led to, let's make this happen. Let's see if we can make this happen. Let's start thinking about some of the great writers, great artists that we know, and perhaps see if they can ask us to develop this book. Okay. And really quickly, you know, Karita, you said that Charlie has no game. But asking someone if you could write a children's book, what would it be about? That sounds like game to me. Like you said that he said that. I'm like, you know what? If I were single, I would be taking notes on that because that's a that is a great first date icebreaker. It's a question that's a vet also because, okay, you know, this person is conscientious. You know, this person is artistic and a writer. You know, this person is interested in how your brain works. And he packed all of that into that one question. And y'all's married now. So again, I mean, talk about you got no game. That That's the best game that I've heard in a minute. So... <laughs> you know what? And I'm going to be using that in the future uh, whenever she comes up with that question because mm-hmm. I, I thought you were just going to skim over that <laughs> when she said the thing that I had no game. And I'm like, should I try to defend this? But no, in the future, I'm going to use exactly what you just said. Boom. That's like everyone is searching for like the best icebreaker, the best question that gets people's engines running, gets people's brain firing. And that's it. And also the answer is like, you know what? I'm going to ask this question. And the type of answer that the person, oh, I don't read no books. Okay, well, we're not a good, we ain't a good match. <laughs> yeah. I don't read no books. Right. What are you talking about? <laughs> books. Going to write no book for no kids. Right. <laughs> Remember that scene in Belly where, uh, <laughs> where Nas's character asked DMX, when's the last time you read a book? He was like, books? Never, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> Belly had so many iconic lines and, and the one that I always come back to and it's not even really a line it's just how Nod just wanted to go to Africa not even a country There's so many countries in that continent it's like I just, I just need to go to Africa I just need to go to Africa it's like alright Nod so you, could, you could narrow it down <laughs> All right, it's, it's a whole entire continent <laughs> right. coast and you know different geography you know you know, make a choice. Come on, Nas. Smarten up, Nas. <sighs> we got to do better. Yeah. So this became a thing during the pandemic, during lockdown, when, you know, everyone's in the house and couples are... Right. You know, it, it's funny because there are a lot of couples that broke up because of, you know, just having to spend that much intense, hyper-anxious time together. Other couples that came through stronger. And you all came out with a book. We came out with a book and we came out with a marriage. We got married during the pandemic. Wow. Okay. All right. So, you know what I mean? Go pandemic. All right. <laughs> this is the first positive byproduct of COVID, right? Is that it produced this book. So shout out to COVID. You have this book, you have this idea. And then I guess the next thing is the decision about who was going to be in it. Uh-huh. Right. And I know that you both, artists, academics, writers, you have binders after binders after binders full of people that you could reach out to, that you could think of, and I'm sure that you thought of. Can you walk us through, Charlie, the decision-making 
just in terms of who to include, who to reach out to, who to ask? Yeah, so that's a great question. It's like the thing was that we had a wish list of people that we knew of. Mm -hmm. And then we had this list of people that are already established that we knew of, that we already had relationships with. And so we literally started with those that we knew. Mm -hmm. And so many of them so quickly said yes, that our wish list got smaller. But then there were these writers and a couple of artists that we had a great deal of respect and love for, but may not have had a relationship with. And said, let's go ahead and start sending them an official letter and see what kind of response we could get. Now, so you have the people that you want to be in it and you have the idea of what, you know, you wanted them to contribute. So I guess, had you already begun to curate it, you know, even before you reached out to the people or did the curation process start after you received? Because, you know, just for us, you know, I'm in a book. I don't think I've said that yet, but I'm actually in the book too, <laughs> right? <laughs> I have a chapter in a book. And you were on the wish list of, can we get him to say yes? <laughs> Thank you so much for that. And um, we were actually connected because um, Syed Grundy, who's a friend of the podcast, has been on the show a few times, reached out. I guess maybe you reached out to Sai and Sai reached out to me. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you got my information from Sai and reached out to me that way. You could just call it what it really was, Damon. I was low-key stalking you <laughs> because I love your work. I love your writerly voice and just respect what you've been able to create through that and do with it. And I also know through Saida, who I just, I call, she's like the great American BAP. She knows everybody who's everybody who's Black, you know, who's doing something and and really committed to to Black people and just has a, have a love for them. So I just knew by proxy that you are also a good person. So you were one of those people on our wish list that we knew of and might be one degree of separation from, but, you know, we didn't know each other personally. So yes, Sai was the plug. She put us in contact with one another, but never did I think that you were actually going to say yes upon being invited to contribute to the book. And you did. And you also said yes, super quick too. And that was our experience with most of the artists and writers in the book. We've got 50 Black authors and artists of note in the new Brownies book. And, you know, it wasn't hard to get people to plug into the concept. Well, I guess this gets back to the question I was asking Charlie, too, about like the curation. Um, If the curation was something that happened before you received, if you already had a curated book in mind before you reached out to people, or did that happen after you received what people pitched and said they were going to contribute? Did the curation start then? I think it was a lot more of after. Okay. You know, I think that Karita and I both discussed the idea of something similar to what Toni Morrison did with the Black Book. Okay. But we wanted to elevate it a little bit with a lot more color. Uh, But like how a curator would typically work anyway, they receive the work, they lay it out, and they start to see where it fits. And so there was a combination of what Karita and I were doing as far as bringing in the writers and the artists, but it was also bringing the publisher Chronicles book together with a great designer, uh, mm-hmm. Kieran Lewis, out of London, and taking these elements and assembling them. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the Black Book, which was, you know, edited, curated by uh, Toni Morrison and others. 
And because I feel like this book, um, the Brownies book, will have a similar place in Black homes. And not just in Black homes, just in, in homes generally in American literature, because it's not just a book. It's like a collector's item. It's a coffee table book. It's beautiful. Like, it's the most beautiful book that I own. Thank you. Wow. Wow. It's a sort of book that when you buy it, you want to display it. And you display it and then people come over, they, they read through it, they look at it, you know, whatever. And it's that sort of book that I think is going to be passed down on coffee tables and, you know, two generations, you know, going forward. So, again, that was just, uh, I, I just think it was a tremendous achievement. And I'm not just saying it because I'm in it. Although me being in it, you know, I'm not objective <laughs> about this because I am in it, right? <laughs> Karita, you mentioned that um, you were surprised that I said yes so quickly. And just to walk you through what was going through my head at that time. Now, mm-hmm. you reached out to me, I want to say maybe that was like 2020, 2021, around that time. Yeah, it was 2020. 2020. And so the ask was like serendipitous because I was already thinking of writing a YA novel. I was already thinking about writing a children's picture book. So I was already kind of in a mindset of, okay, how do I modify my voice and create something that's aimed for like a 10-year-old or 11-year-old or a 12-year-old while still keeping some of the same humor, still even keeping some of the same politics that are infused in my work. And so how do I do that? And so when you reached out and asked, I was like, oh shit, this is kismet. Like this is, again, I was already there And so the yes was like, of course, shit. Wow. This would give me an opportunity to do this thing that I've actually been trying to do, been wanting to do for a few months now. And also, too, you know, you get asked, you know, sometimes people reach out about anthologies. And I had just left a no season where I had turned down a couple. And so you had me thinking of YA already, but then also being like, you know what? I'm going to say yes to the next thing. Mm. And so it was both of those things combining and then you reaching out and then having a side connection. And it was like, oh, yeah, of course I want to do this shit. Of course. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. One thing that I love about this project, what became the new Brownies book, is that number one, it is a collective letter of resounding love from these 50 Black creatives, right? Mm -hmm. But what we're learning from our contributors is that it was a crossover piece for a lot of folks. And I'm hearing that from you, Damon. Um, We have some professors who submitted pieces to the book. And I thought that we were going to get like history lessons. Mm -hmm. No, they wrote poems Mm -hmm. and love letters to their children. Folks really like broke their traditional genres and gave us something a little more intimate and vulnerable for this book. That's another reason why I just love it so much. That's a great point, because I think that people who are kind of steeped in a certain type of work and whose work maybe is more sober, more serious, more focused on like a particular subject matter might look at an opportunity like this and like, you know what, this is my opportunity to write this poem or to write this short story or to modify my voice so that it's for children instead of for adults or academics. And so... It surprised me that you all are surprised that so many people said yes immediately, because for people in this world, this is like the perfect ask. I don't know what your success rate was in terms of if you ask 60 people 
and 55 said yes, but you could have asked a thousand people and 950 of them would have said yes, I feel like. Mm. Just because of the ask and also because of who you are and what you're trying to create, what you did create. Yeah, we're super grateful. Back with more after a break. And so this book, you know, it also exists at a time when books are under threat, right? Black literature, Black history, you know, all of these things are being suppressed, being canceled, books being taken out of schools, children, particularly in certain states, are barred from having access to certain types of books in their classrooms. You know, libraries are getting challenged, librarians are getting death threats. Authors are getting death threats, docs. Mm. You know, these things are happening. And so this book existing at that time. Now, obviously, you know, I don't think that you, well, I'm not even going to say obviously, was that part a factor, Charlie, in creating this and wanting to write this and revive this now? You know, I'm thinking from the standpoint of, um, what the boys did. He took the time out of an insane schedule to not only produce this book, but to respond to those young people. Mm-hmm. He never spoke down to them. He actually addressed their parents sometime and raising their children. Mm-hmm. I think that when we're looking in a society right now that's operating with such fear or ignorance, it is the perfect time for what we're doing. And I think that if just us as a community were to support this book, it would be a huge success. It would be a resounding success because we're speaking, again, to family, to love, to relationship, to children, and it covers the gamut. And when you mentioned the thing about like being surprised that uh, we have been questioned that anyone would say yes or no, uh, quite honestly, I think we've been giving ourselves less credit for our reputations and the respect that we've accomplished in our lifetime. And I think that's made a real big difference as people are responding because of our love and respect for us. And so, Karita, you study racism. Yes. That's what you do for a living, right? And so how do you think this book fits in that context of like critical race theory, you know, being challenged and you hear about something new every day about books being bad and things being challenged, curriculums being challenged, teachers being fired, school administrators, you know, being protested because they're including certain books in their curriculums. And so how does this fit just historically with that context? Mm-hmm. So it's so important that I continue to reiterate that this book was born out of love. Mm-hmm. And that's the the source from which we hope that you know, anybody who engages with it experiences the new Brownies book. Mm-hmm. But to your question, Damon, like that context of anti-Black racism, systemic racism is the conditions under which the original Brownies book that was founded by W.E.B. Du Bois in 1920 and this new brown version of the Brownies book that we've co-produced 100 years later mm-hmm. 
it comes in the backdrop of that. So it can't be ignored. So in 2020, when Charlie and I started to reach out to the 50 contributors and solicit original artwork or original literary works for the book, we were trapped in the house. We started this while we were still on lockdown, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, George Floyd had just been murdered on TV for us all to see over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Breonna Taylor had just been killed. So we were in the height of despair and uncertainty Mm -hmm. and anger and rage at the time that we're asking folks to (laughs) produce a work for young Black children to let them know that they are loved. And- it's in that context or through that context through which we all created, you know, our pieces. And I think that you feel that in the final product that is in this book. And when we started, books weren't being banned like that. Mm-hmm. This whole landscape that the Brownies book is born into in this iteration, it just happens to be the time. Um, and I can tell you, I can't wait for the new Brownies book to get banned. Because it is rooted in the Black radical tradition. So it should be. It responds to certain, you know, lived experiences that Black children, too, have to experience. So there's a piece in the book by Keith Cross and Sharon Burke says that's called I Don't Want to Be Black. Mm -hmm. And that's a comic strip that deals with, you know, and Charlie can talk about it more. It deals with the little girl who sees George Floyd being murdered on TV and gets scared and tells her parents that. That's a true story. Mm -hmm that her parents illustrated. We have Dr. Lawrence Ralph, who's a professor at Princeton. He wrote a time capsule to his daughter, Amina, about the fear that he has about knowing that one day he'll have to have the talk with her, Mm -hmm. right? So those types of pieces are in the Brownies book, as well as humorous stories, joyous stories. But we also picked up pieces from the original Brownies book. For example, we've republished all of Langston Hughes's original works that Du Bois published in the Brownies book. Those were Langston Hughes' first published pieces Mm -hmm. that, for the most part, folks haven't seen. So the new Brownies book is up to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It's about hearkening back to a Black radical tradition that we all have as a part of our heritage that we can call on. It's about making real statements about what it means to be, you know, in this skin that we're in as a young person today is also about joy mm-hmm. and laughter and what it means to be human. So if any of those things are deemed controversial because it is produced from the standpoint of a Black creative and a Black experience, then so be it. But we said what we said. We meant that. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for that, Karita. And, you know, the joy part is something that, one, it really shines through this collection because this is a book that is just bursting with joy, is bursting with just, I want to say brilliance, and brilliance in terms of just, you know, the type of, you know, brilliance using a connotation of like, okay, these people are extremely smart, but also brilliance in terms of like the sun, you know what I mean? In terms of something that is so bright, something that is so vibrant, so brilliant, Right. And that's one of the things that just come that just jumps off the page with this. Mm. But the joy part, and again, this gets back to why so many people were so willing to be a part of it. Because again, if you're reaching out to people during that summer, that summer of 2020 with the protests, with the lockdown, and you have George Floyd, and then you have COVID, and then you have Breonna Taylor, and then you have so many other things that are just happening 
all at the same time, right? I think that there might have also been like, you know what? We need to find some form of joy. We need to create some form of joy. We need to create something that is joyous. We can't allow ourselves to just be engulfed by all of this anxiety, all of this hate, all of this America. We can't allow America to suffocate us. And so this book, mm. you know, is almost like a, I don't know, a respirator in a way mm. where it allows people to breathe and to like create and to like, you know what, let me write this poem that's been on my mind. Let me write to my daughter. Mm. Let me write to some invented kid. Let me recreate a thing that was written a hundred years ago and try to come up with my own modern contemporary spin on it. And again, I think those sorts of things can't be parsed out from each other. And there's never been a time when we haven't been under threat. Like it has dips and valleys, but the valleys ain't that deep. Right. <laughs> right. The valleys is like a puddle. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we, you know, it's always a thing. It's always something. Mm-hmm. If it's not critical race theory, then it's it's woke being a thing. If it's not woke being a thing, it's super predators. If it's not super predators, it's, you know, you could just go Southern strategy. You could just go down the line. Hmm. We can't even wear our hair the way we want to. Yeah. Yeah. Beards. We can't have braids and, and locks and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's always a thing. And again, I, I just think that something like this is a response. And saying that it's response sounds a little white gazy, like, okay, we're rightness in response to white people. And we want to show that, you know, we could be like, no, not that. But it's more just like an intra-racial, intra-community response Mm -hmm. to all of the things that, you know, that we always will have to deal with while we're here in America. Can you imagine if if it was, and I was thinking about it as you were just speaking, if this book existed doing the pandemic, how refreshing and uplifting and needed it would have been. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, we were all like in our own little capsules creating our stories or our art uh, during the time of that struggle. And now it's coming out now. But had that book existed, it would have been an escape on a daily basis because there's such a variety in the book. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so I I also wanted to ask you all and and Charlie, maybe you could um, provide some insight on this. How was it like working on this thing as a couple? Yeah, Charlie, let's hear that. People would not believe when I address the idea of how Karita and I move. We have so much love, respect for one another. Uh, I learn big words from her daily. (laughs) But I learn from her a different understanding of, we use the word intentionality, but when we look at the struggle to be African-American in this American country, we know for a fact that certain things, including the educational system and politics and everything, have been always designed to hold us back, to not give us the opportunities. I'm always offended by the idea of from your bootstraps, you can make your own. It's like, no, this system is not designed for us. And so we have to find ways to uplift, to inspire, to give insight and understandings about how certain things are going on in this system and we can take advantage of it as everyone else has been able to. Mm -hmm. But working with my boss, (laughs) I mean, my wife, uh, is stimulating. 
And it was really exciting because we watched the birth of this baby that we are extremely proud of because it came together uh, in such an easy way. So there was no friction. There was no, like, conflict. There was no, like, none of that. And I'm asking because my wife and I have tried to work together on a couple projects and, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. So let's keep it real. Like, when it came to this particular project, we both had a very clear idea of what we wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I don't say that's always the case. You know, we've worked on other projects where literally Karita is taking the lead and I've watched her operate in a room of bosses, CEOs, and presidents, and it's it's scary. Mm-hmm. You know, she's confident, she knows her stuff, um, and she does not back down. But that's a different situation. This was for us and for us as a community. And so we worked together to, I think, create what best represents Black love. Karita, do you have anything you want to say in response? Yeah, I would agree with Charlie's depiction on this one. We have worked together on other projects that uh, will go unnamed where, you know, (laughs) we learn new things about one another and we should probably walk away from. But on this project, again, it was like, you know, first of all, I learned so much from Charlie. You can't imagine what it's like to be in the presence, in the company of married to such a prolific artistic genius. I think that Charlie is an artistic genius and I've seen him paint before and how he applies the paint to the canvas to create something. And that's fascinating in and of itself, Mm -hmm. but to be a part of his thought process in curating then a final project or speaking art to the other artists because they have their own other language Mm -hmm. that don't understand you know it it was just beautiful for me and I I grew from it I learned from it and you know I'll cherish this for the rest of my life it was a it really was a beautiful journey thank you babe Charlie Palmer Dr. Karita Brown thank you so much for coming through you all will be in Pittsburgh too you will be in Pittsburgh yes um in November I guess it's either right before right after Thanksgiving around that time it's around that time. I think we're coming just before Thanksgiving. Yeah, right before Thanksgiving, you will be in Pittsburgh for a Fashion Africana event that's going to be held by the homie Demetria uh, Bocello. And um, I think I'll be a part of that, too. So I will I will see you all when you get here. I hope so. But again, this um, amazing book, New Brownies book, Go and Cop It, is available in stores now. Oh, and also, I did not read the title of my chapter. I went to get the book just so I could have it in front of me and read it. It's a letter to the kid who eventually breaks my world record of most bite-sized Snickers eaten by a 12-year-old in a 13-minute span while winning between pickup basketball games at Mellon Park. Okay, so I, I got a little silly. <laughs> the longest title in the book and the longest story yes. in the whole book. Yeah. Oh, well, I get, I, I <laughs> thank you. I don't know if that was a sub. I don't know if that's a backhand compliment. It. But again, <laughs> I, <laughs> I appreciate you all giving me that space, giving me that room to talk to this kid, to talk to all of our kids, right? But again, thank you so much for coming through. And please, 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 if you're listening to this, go and cop the new Brownies book. Beautiful book. You will not regret it. Thank you. Damon, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And look forward to seeing you in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, of course. 
Again, I just want to thank uh, Charlie Palmer and Dr. Karita Brown for coming through. Great topic, great guests, great people. And please, please, please go and cop the new Brownies book, which is available in stores now today. Also, you can find Stuck With David Young anywhere you get your podcast. But if you're on Spotify, particularly if you're on the Spotify app, please, you know, take advantage of the interactive polling, questions, answers, knock yourself out, have a lot of fun with that. And again, if you have any questions about anything whatsoever, hit me up at DearDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Kendra James and Madeline Herringer. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Spotify, our executive producers are Lauren Silverman, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam and Crystal Hall Stressler.